It's time for Dodger baseball. The sports department at WFUV and the history behind it are a story largely untold. That is, until now. The voices that have shaped the student-run station for the last seven decades dive into their time at Rose Hill. This is the Off the Air Podcast, the legacy of WFUV Sports. Week two of the Off the Air podcast, Emmanuel Barbari, Jimmy Sullivan with you, and Jimmy, a very special guest this week, Justin Shackle, scoreboard host for the Yankees. You hear him on CBS Sports Radio, Sirius XM, you see him on NBA TV, Fordham class of 2009, and he shared a path with Dan Zuva, our opening guest on the Off the Air podcast. They graduated at the same time, their career paths are very similar, and they both have a constant ability to strive to get better they certainly do man and justin is a man of many talents he can do play-by-play he can do studio hosting he does some boxing now over the past year or so and as you mentioned obviously as the in-stadium scoreboard host for the yankees very talented guy he's got a great work ethic kind of like with dan duva and pretty much any other sportscaster we'll get to talk to on this podcast so really looking forward to getting to talk to Justin and learning some of the tricks in the trade and also sharing some good WFUV memories. And I think a common theme here is getting some of these FUV alum guests to talk about their time and also the people they spent time with while they were at the station, because it's that camaraderie and that family that forms that FUV that not only lasts with you for life in terms of friendships, but it produces the best product possible on and off the air. So I'm really excited to ask Justin about some of those interactions he had with people like Dan and who we looked up to at the station. And I think that's one of the special things we can take out of this podcast. I am too. And it's interesting, you know, when you talk about those guys in the past having great bonds, being really tight knit, it's kind of the same thing we have now. There's a straight line from that to now, whether it's 15, 20, 25 years apart, it's still the same idea. We're all a really good group of friends. We're really close. And I'm looking forward to hearing from Justin about some of those experiences. Maybe not necessarily on air or working together. Maybe it's just, as Dan Duva said last week, hanging out at somebody's apartment, hanging out in somebody's dorm. So really looking to hear about those experiences with Justin should be fun. So without further ado, let's learn a little bit more about our second guest on the Off the Air podcast, Justin Shackle. This week on Off the Air, Justin Shackle. A 2009 Fordham graduate and WFUV alum, Justin worked as a reporter and play-by-play broadcaster, covering football, basketball, and baseball, in addition to hosting WFUV's one-on-one. After his four years at Rose Hill, Shackle served as a broadcaster for the Trenton Thunder, before heading south, where he was the voice for the Tennessee minor league affiliate of the Chicago Cubs, and the Alabama minor league affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks. More recently, Justin has been heard as a sports update anchor on Sirius XM Radio, a studio host on NBA TV, a scoreboard digital host and reporter with the New York Yankees, and a clubhouse reporter on the Yes Network. Here's the Off the Air podcast with Justin Shackle. Justin, thanks so much for joining us. What's going on, guys? How's everyone doing? 
Pretty good. That's where we're going to start. How's this quarantine treating you? How's the sportsless landscape treating you? No, I've I'm not been aching for as much sports as I thought I would be. Uh, you know, when when you go back to March and you think uh, about what everyone was saying, what the prognosis was going to be, the outlook, and you know, they were saying you won't, you know, you might not see live sports for a while. And at the time, I said, oh, that obviously is not good for my livelihood, but uh, just for my, you know, my own, you know, mental capacity, so to speak, you know, I'm like, what am I going to do without having something really to watch? Because I don't watch too much TV. There's no program that I'm really um, absorbing myself into on a daily basis. I, I pretty much watch live sports programming and, and the news, and that's pretty much it. So when they, you know, and they said that there weren't going to be too much, you know, live sporting action going on for a few months. I thought, well, that's not good. But been keeping myself busy with the same activities that I'm sure a lot of people have, you know, exercising and um, finding, you know, new hobbies, reading. Not, nothing new here, but uh, it's definitely been keeping me busy. Justin, when we talked to uh, Dan Duvel last week, he was talking about going back and, and listening to some of his stuff because obviously he had a, a lot of time on his hands. Have you been you know, doing some of that, trying to figure out kind of ways to uh, improve, if you will? Yeah. Uh, so within the last year, actually it was a year this past May, I called my first boxing telecast. And uh, I, it's something that I've been wanting to do for a while. I, uh, I box as a you know, fitness hobby. I've been doing that for years. And for a while, I you know, was saying to myself, man, I would love to combine that, that passion with the industry I work in. And you know, I, I, it was top of mind for a while. Then it kind of took a backseat. And oh, last April or so, it kind of just fell into my lap an opportunity. And you know, I ran with it. And uh, I'm having a lot of fun doing that. And that really allowed me to, you know, this time has really allowed me the, uh, the chance to really comb over all my boxing work with a fine tooth comb. And, uh, you know, I, I've been able to update my, my boxing reel. Uh, you know, it's something that not a lot of sportscasters have. So uh, I, I'm really pleased with, uh, with that and the way it turned out. And there's been things that I've, you know, gone back to making mental notes, taking physical notes as well. And then boxing has kind of just returned in the last week or so. Uh, top ranked boxing on ESPN has been putting up live telecasts. So live boxing is back. I'm very excited about that. And I've been watching that a lot. And, you know, now's the time where I'm kind of observing. It's something that I, always, you know, always done, but there's only so many replays that you can watch, you know, between, you know, whoever, you know, Gotti Ward, you know, the trilogy there, or, you know, Ali Frazier, you've seen a bunch of that on ESPN classics uh, throughout this pandemic. So it was nice to finally see some, you know, live action boxing. And, you know, I think uh, Joe Tessitore on ESPN does a, a terrific job of blow by blow. So it's fun to finally have more live boxing to watch and you're able to take those notes as, as you watch those broadcasts. Justin, rewinding, you came through the program. Everyone who, who comes to FUV has their own story. They either wanted to go into the field and knew it or didn't necessarily know of it and stumbled upon it. Were you one of those people who knew this is exactly what you wanted to do? And if so, how did you learn about WFUV in particular? Yeah, I knew I wanted to do something within the industry. I knew about Fordham's reputation, and I only really had heard about WFUV 
It wasn't until I went to Fordham right before it was, it was in January of 2006. I had spent the first semester of college uh, uh, local, and then I, I transferred in after that first semester of freshman year. And I had to go onto the campus, I think, to physically hand in some type of transcript. I, I couldn't remember. I was with my mother, and I said, well, while we're here, like, let's see if we could look at WFUV. So uh, it was my mother and myself, and uh, I, that was the first time I met Bob Ahrens, you know, former executive producer, and he kind of took me on a, a guided tour. Um, and right then and there is where I kind of got a idea of what exactly went on at WFUV, and I was hooked. I, I was, you know, ready to roll. The semester, I don't think, started for another two weeks or so, uh, and I, I was ready to get to campus and, and get going because, you know, he really excited me by, by showing me exactly what they do there. And that's when I first had an idea of what WFUV was all about. And of course, only grew from there after being surrounded by the other kids, attending the workshops, and then ultimately doing the demos and getting on the air. You talked about Bob and obviously a lot of the people who we're going to have on this podcast at some point, you know, were mentored by Bob Ahrens and he had a lot to do with, with their career. What were your first impressions of him I know you touched on it just a little bit but when you first meet him you know what do you immediately think and how much of a privilege was it to get to work for him for I guess three and a half years in your case yeah, the very first meeting that I was talking about with Bob and my mother and myself um, his passion just you know was was the biggest thing that that stood out to me and you could tell this was a guy who knew what he was doing again at that point you knew he he led the sports staff and being there on that January day and having him guide us around and outlining everything that went on, I, I felt like, okay, I'm going to be in good hands here. And this is exactly what I'm coming here to do. You know, it's right here and it's with this guy. So uh, his first impression was everything to me. And then, you know, you, you get to campus, the, the semester starts and that relationship just grows, whether, you know, it's him, you know, sitting down one-on-one -on -one in his office, uh, just, just shooting the breeze, or it's him listening to mock broadcasts that you did, and then eventually listening to, to game replays and trying to figure out how you can get better there, constantly offering constructive criticism, constantly putting you in touch with some of the alumni that, may have been in your shoes at one point in a certain situation and you can kind of bounce off questions and ideas to them. So he was just the, the perfect sounding board um, and the, the perfect lifeline, I think, someone who wanted to get into this business and learn it at the collegiate level. He, there's nobody better, uh, in my opinion, that anyone could have had uh, than, than, than Bob Aaron. So he's, you know, really been everything from mentor slash grandfather figure slash college buddy uh it, you know it's a it's a weird mix and i know there's a lot of other people that kind of feel the same way it's it's a guy that you probably have a tough time uh explaining what he's all about to your friends or family if they don't have an idea of what wfuv and you know what he's all about so uh, but that's what also makes it cool right that you know, this, this fraternity that we're all in, that that's, that's what 
makes it special, at least a part of it. Uh, Bob's certainly a big part of that. Speaking of being in good hands in the fraternity, when you enter WFUV, a lot of it is upperclassmen showing you the ropes and leading the way. Who were some of those characters when you initially joined WFUV and what did you learn from them? Well, I think I was the biggest character because, <laughs> um, you know, it's funny that, you know, during this pandemic, as you can see, I am in dire need of a haircut, even <laughs> with the hat on. And when I entered Fordham, um, you know, you can ask some of you know, the people I was in school with at the time, I, you know, had, I don't know if you guys even know who Jeff Spicoli is, but I had the Spicoli cut, which is basically no haircut. My hair came down to my shoulders. Um, I had the black and white Vans checkered slip-on sneakers. And I came in there and I could automatically tell it was a workshop. And I, I won't forget it because I think it was, it was Gary Cohen who was, who was doing this workshop. This was my first interaction with everybody. And Bob Aaron's kind of said, hey, we have a we have a new student. Um, you know, he told me to stand up and introduce myself. And, you know, mind you guys, think about a, a guy. You kind of know it because you've been through it. Think about there's just I guess you could equate it to like a random walk on coming into the program midway through the year. Um, it's it's a little different. It's kind of unique. So um I could tell everybody was kind of staring at me and later on, you know, they would say it to my face once they got to know me, who the hell is this kid? Um, Cause I was, I was, I definitely looked different than your average Fordham student. Um, and I felt like a bunch of kids did, you know, I know my sports, I know what I'm doing here. And then right away, you could tell that there were other people in that room who were on the same level or well ahead of you. So you know, I kind of said to myself, Hey, this is, this is going to take some work. And this is, this is a time where you're going to have to put in the work. Um, and obviously it turned, you know, you do that and you become better, but that was my introduction, um, in that room, you know, I was a freshman. So you had guys like Greg Jamborisi, you know, longtime announcer for the, for the Lakewood blue claws. He was probably the lead announcer for, uh, at, you know, Fordham basketball and football at the time. Uh, you had Ryan Rucco, in that room, he was a sophomore. Um, you had Lou Baricelli, who's the head of PR at MLB Network. You had uh, Dan Flanagan, who was a junior. And, you know, my time at Fordham, as far as play-by-play goes, I was, up until my senior year, really, um, I was, it was tough. It was tough to get those, you know, those lead play-by-play opportunities because in front of me, I had Ryan, who was a sophomore, I had Dan, who eventually graduated with my year, but he was, you know, older than I, Dan Duva. And then you had Dan Flanagan, who, I mean, I think Ryan would admit, you know, maybe Dan too. I think Dan Flanagan at the time, you know, being 21, 22, was probably the most polished play-by-play announcer out of all of us. And obviously that's saying something because at the time, you know, they were all great. You could see that, guys like Ryan Rucco and Dan Duva were going to be, you know, they were going to go on to have a nice career in this business. Obviously they have, uh, but that's just how competitive it was. You know, they're, they're, you know, and it wasn't a, a bad competition. We were, you know, it was very friendly, but it was tough to earn that chair. If you wanted to do Fordham men's basketball, Fordham football on a consistent weekly basis, it, you know, it wasn't easy. Obviously it makes you, you know, makes you better in the long run but it was tough to uh to crack the air and 
I'm really happy that it kind of was that way because it forced me to be better. You know, that was the carrot on the string. Um, and, and I wanted to be where those, you know, those men were at the time. And uh, ultimately, you know, you get there eventually, but uh, they, they kept me motivated. So I, I think back on my time at Fordham, one of the things is how motivated I was to always get better. And I try to keep that, that, that feeling of, of, you know, ultimate motivation with me uh, all the time and whatever I do. Justin, it was funny. You were talking about the, the growing pains and the amount of talented people you worked with just in your time at FUV. How long did it feel like it took you to kind of fit in at FUV and start hitting your stride? I know you said it was tough for you to break through until about senior year, but did you feel like you started, you know, getting opportunities, whether it be to produce or do updates or things like that before that? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, you, you talk about uh, up until my senior year, like being like the, you know, uh, one of the primary play-by-play announcers. That took until my senior year, but throughout that second half of the freshman year, my sophomore, my junior year, I was ingratiated in WFEV. I, I spent more time at the station there, you know, than I did in my dorm or my off-campus apartment eventually. And the other kids who were doing the same they notice, you know, the staff is usually about 30 students or so, at least when I was there, I'm not sure what it is today, but it was around 30, you know, 30 students. And then you, you kind of know what the tier is, right? You have some, some students who are there for, uh, you know, it's another activity that they can do while in college. Then you have the, the students who kind of have one foot in, but never really two feet in. And then you have students who are really serious about this. They're always at the station and they want to do this once they get out. I was definitely part of that tier and the other people who were in that group, they recognize that as well. And, you know, those turn out to be my, my friends from college. You know, when I think back at college, like that's my group. And a lot of them are still friends to this day. Some of them aren't even in the industry, but the, the people who, made it a point to be at the station all the time. Like myself, uh, I gravitated to them rather quickly. You know, maybe, maybe my freshman year at the end of the freshman year, definitely by the midway point of my sophomore year. So it, that didn't take long, but, uh, but when, you know, what, once you identify what kind of tier that you fall under, I think the other people in that tier, you know, they, you gravitate toward one another. You talked about getting reps, and one thing that sets FUV apart is the ability to be in professional clubhouses and, and beat report at professional games. How much did that benefit you specifically, being able to be around some of the people you grew up admiring in the field? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, it was really cool because we were actually getting paid to do it. And I think that's one of the hidden secrets about WFUV to the people who are on the Fordham campus, and they realize what you do but you don't have a you know they, they don't know that you get paid for it you know they don't know that you get paid to go to you know at the time shea stadium or the meadowlands and and the garden at a yankee stadium that's what was kind of cool about it and uh yeah it, it was amazing i mean chris carino who you know i considered you know i consider a mentor he comes into fuv to do workshops so you know an fuv alum uh this is just an example with him and then I, you know, I, I grew up 15, 20 minutes from the Meadowlands. I was a big New Jersey net fan growing up and I jumped at the opportunity 
I think it was the only one to, you know, cover the nets from going to the Bronx to the Meadowlands, trying to find my way and do that beat steadily. And I loved it. I tried to do as many games as possible. And when you're at the Meadowlands, you're at the net games, you know, obviously I'm going to, you know, try and absorb as much information uh, from Chris Carino while he's there doing the games on the radio for the Nets and uh, Ian Eagle as well. Ian was some guy, uh, some, somebody who I uh, knew before college. I went to his broadcasting camp when, when I was in high school. That was kind of my first uh, crash course into what this industry is all about. And that was an, another way for me to kind of cultivate that relationship with Ian, being at the Meadowlands, covering the team, and just you know, either asking him questions that I may have, doing it face-to-face, or keeping him updated about what I'm doing while I'm back at school. So uh, that's definitely one example. I, I, you know, you guys know I, I love baseball. Um, I was the Mets beat reporter, I think, my junior year, and be at Chase Stadium the entire summer. And the same thing. Um, I, you know, I would would ask people like Gary Cohen, who's kind enough to you know, come and do workshops with us on, you know, on a pretty routine basis. One of, you know, the, the announcers that you'd see two, three times a year coming to Fordham and, and talking to us as a group, which was really cool. And, you know, I would, you know, be able to talk to him. Also, Shea Stadium was the place where I kind of cut my first real baseball demo, so to speak. Um, there were nights where I would sneak into an empty booth and ask, you know, uh, and if anyone was around, I'd ask them if I can use it. If not, I, you know, I know that my first baseball demo came from the upper deck at Shea Stadium while I was a beat reporter there. I, you know, left my work spot in the press box and I went upstairs so I wouldn't bother anyone. And I called an inning. This was, I think, 2006 or 2007. And I, I called an inning. Or, you know, Orlando Hernandez was pitching for the Mets at that point. I believe they were playing the Nationals. I know I have it. I got, I'd have to go look for it. But that piece of tape, that inning, got me my first uh, baseball play-by-play job the following summer, in the summer of 08. So, uh, you know, going to Shea Stadium, going to the Meadowlands, doing those beat reporting jobs, that was so invaluable for me at the time, not just because I was learning how to, you know, be a reporter and how to conduct myself at the professional level, but it afforded me the opportunity to cut some major league tape, and uh, that was pretty cool in and of itself. And you were talking about that first job right after college. You got to do some minor league baseball. You worked for a couple teams, Trenton Thunder, uh, Tennessee Smokies, Mobile Bay Bears. Um, how, how was that experience over the course of just a couple of years, getting to do minor league baseball, kind of bouncing around the country? It was a lot of fun at the time. I was having fun. Uh, it was also tough. There were some obstacles, right? Like, like anything. But I look back on it now and I say to myself, man, those – were the, were the best summers that I've had, uh, arguably, of my life. I mean, calling ball every day, number one. Uh, number two, you are with a, you know, a baseball team, whether it is you're riding buses with them, you're you know, chatting with them, you're eating with them on the road, you're with a ball team for five, six months. You, know, you are part of the team, so to speak. There's only about, at the time, you know, now they have a lot more coaches, but, you know, at the time you have, you know, the manager, you might have, you know, the pitching coach, hitting coach, another coach, trainer, strength and conditioning guy, the radio guy, and then the team. So, you know, you're part of it, um, which was really cool to me. And uh, they, 
you know, that allowed me to be on the air every single night for three hours. And there's no substitute for that. So I look back on it as far as uh, my, my work goes. And I don't think there could be any substitution for me getting better at a young age than there wasn't calling minor league ball at that time. And then when you think back at some of the other things that you have to do, you know, pulling tarp when, uh, when it's raining and maybe making sales calls and, you know, uh, just, just different things in, in mobile, you know, we didn't have an elevator and we had a really steep, uh, you know, press box area at the very top of the stadium. I mean, I have to lug my equipment all the way up in, you know, the just, just awful weather situations in Mobile, Alabama. You're right on the Gulf. You know, when it rained, it poured every single day. And, uh, you know, I think back and I'm like, man, at the time, there were some moments when I'm saying to myself, what am I doing with my life? But then you look back on it and you said, man, it was all for a reason. And they were really good times. And you also meet a bunch of people. You know, that's, that's baseball at its core right there because – to me, baseball is a lot about relationships and, you know, you go and do minor league ball and you meet someone and then you may not see them for, you know, four or five years. And then where I'm at now with the Yankees, maybe they come in uh, as, you know, a visiting player or a visiting coach, or, you know, now there are some Yankee staffers that were in Trenton with me back in 2010 and you have those relationships and you hit it off like no time has passed. And I think that's so cool. And it's one of the, parts of baseball that really uh, connects with me. And it's a big reason why I think it is my passion. So, you know, those first few years right out of school, you know, obviously it was tough. You're trying to build that foundation, but, you know, as you're building it, as you're making that climb, definitely got to take the time to step back, take a breath and say, man, this, you know, where you are at in the moment right now, it definitely beats a desk job and you're, you know, you may not see it, but this is paving the way for what you ultimately want to do. So, you know, try and enjoy in the moment. Talk about some of the better moments. Last week when we were talking to Dan Duva, he cited a trip to St. Louis uh, doing a basketball game as one of his fonder trips during his FUV career. Are there any road trips in particular that stick out to you and resonate as the best moments in college? There are. I would have to say this, though. I have to preface with everything I say about Fordham Athletics with the simple fact that, guys, when I was there, I did not call a single Fordham victory between Fordham football, Fordham men's hoops, and Fordham women's basketball. When I was doing Fordham women's basketball uh, as, a, as a junior, uh, it was myself and Brian Clark, who was a sophomore, and we, we were pretty much – the women's basketball team, every, every game we would switch between, you know, play by play and color. And that Fordham team 07, 08 went 0 and 29. <laughs> so we literally didn't call a win that season. The football team, I can't remember the record exactly, but I, I know my senior year, you know, they had, I think one win, maybe two, but I wasn't on the call. And then the men's basketball team, I believe had three wins my senior season. I didn't call any of them. So I didn't have any wins there, but those road trips were a lot of fun. Cause you're, like I said, you know, you're, especially during those times when there's not a lot of winning going on, you're also learning together how to cover a losing team. You know, that's kind of hard. 
And to have that education at the college level, I think really benefits you in the long run because, you know, I haven't been on teams that have, I mean, you know, to be blunt, they haven't been that poor, you know, since those teams that I was in college. And that's a good thing. Obviously it's tough to cover a losing team, but if you do it right out of the gate, you know, you're kind of getting a crash course on how to do it. And yeah, like I said, it benefits you from the long run. So kind of being on the road with, you know, my peers in that sense, you know, learning how to fight through adversity on the air, but also, you know, I think back, there was a lot of trips to Philadelphia between LaSalle and St. Joe's and Temple. And I don't know if this happens so much anymore, but there were a couple of times when we were in college when the men's and women's teams would play on the same day, uh, whether it be at home or away. In this case, I believe they were playing at Temple, and it was a, it was a doubleheader. It was the women's team playing the uh, Temple women's team, and then maybe a, an hour later, it was the men's team in action. And they sent two split crews. So we had a women's crew and a men's crew. And we went out to eat at a pretty expensive restaurant the night before when we were with uh, Joe DeBarry, he's a great sports information director. And uh, yeah, there, were, there, was, there was two crews there. We sat at a big round table and we, we just laughed the whole night. So uh, you know, had, we had a great meal. You know, we were all just so soaked into what was going on with the basketball programs because we felt that that big responsibility to you know bring that action to the Fordham fans and you know we were on the road we were doing it right it was it was great and you know that's a that's a moment that I look back on fondly and just just having those those times together whether it be on the road or whether it be in you know one person's apartment studying up prepping for for the game you know the next night or so and those are my best memories. You know, they, they were, it wasn't about going out on the weekend and, you know, having fun that way. You know, it was, I, I, I don't remember too many of those nights. I remember the nights where we were together on a Friday or a Saturday and we were prepping for whether it be a show or a game the next day. That, that, was, uh, that was the best time for me. You brought up an interesting point there, which is, you know, covering teams that don't necessarily win a ton. We're kind of spoiled now. You know, I did some women's games last year and they won 20 odd games. Obviously, unfortunately for you, you know, that didn't quite happen when you were there. What would your advice be to, to cover a losing team, to call games for a losing team? Because it's obviously a really difficult task. Yeah, I think my, my biggest rule of thumb is approaching, you know, you know, poor play, right? How do, how do you kind of do your job in a responsible way with that? Uh, I think one of the biggest things that, you know, was kind of taught to me and then later, and it wasn't until after I, I graduated college, it was kind of put into words perfectly. Um, it's, you know, don't critique the performance, not the player. You know, you could say, um, you know, John Doe isn't having the best of nights or, you know, he's struggling mightily from, from three point range, but that's just an indictment of how his performance that given day is going. You know, you, there's no reason for you to be saying, you know, John Doe really stinks from three point range, you know, or, you know, he's had a terrible season. You can get your point across the same way. Um, you know, people, the audience gets the message. So 
Um, I, I think it's really important to, uh, again, critique the performance, not the player. Um, and, and then just kind of take one game at a time. And what I mean by that, and I know I've mentioned this to students before, this is something that's kind of really one of my big elements uh, when I do play by play is you need to outline what's important on that specific day. And I think this is important for those losing teams. It's, I think it's important every time, but I think it's uh, important for those losing teams and those losing situations. You know, you, you need to let the audience know why that game matters and what's important that day. So whether it's a hey, Fordham's trying to snap that, you know, eight game losing skit to start the season, Fordham's desperately trying to get that first win of the season, you know, you know, whatever that may be, I think it's important to kind of make that storyline stand out and then kind of fall into the, the job you're doing as a play-by-play announcer, given that description and kind of painting the word picture. If you keep that narrative going, you know, it, it kind of just makes everything else stand on its own. And like I said, I think that's important for whatever type of team you're covering, but when it's a losing team and it's a, you know, it's a hard time, it's a tough season. um, I think it's really important to do that. But again, you have to keep it in perspective because these obviously aren't, you know, they're not all bad players, so to speak. It's just, you know, something that, that happens. There's a, look, there's a reason why they're, you know, scholarship D1 athletes, they're good players, Right. But, um, you know, maybe they're not, it's not the right fit. Maybe all the pieces aren't fitting together. Coaching may be an issue. Um, so I think it's important to always keep that in your mind, you know, critique the performance, not the player. Justin, before we let you go, what makes FUV stand out in your mind and how can it continue to stand out moving forward? I think for me, when I think of what people at FUV have done, and then when I hear other people talk about their collegiate experience, um, I don't sense that it was as tight-knit of a program that WFUV runs. And I think the fact that it's been so consistent, that tight-knit feeling has been there throughout time, I think that's a testament to a lot of things. I think it's the leadership whether, you know, it's, you know, in my case, you know, Bob Aaron's is there, you know, Bobby's there now. I, and, you know, you're able to push that message across. I think it's the alumni who were in those situations and in that atmosphere and have been able to push that message across to the students who are there now. And it just carried over time after time, you know, whether, you know, through each cycle of students that has stood the test of time. And it's important because, you know, a lot of times, you know, your, your peers in the program, your peers at FUV, you go out and their success is terrific. It also means good things for you because it's putting WFUV in a great light. It's putting Fordham in a great light. And again, it's all who you know. I mean, you've heard that time and time again, really in any industry in life, but uh, especially this one, it's all who you know. They can make that recommendation for you if they're in that situation, if they're in that position. And I, I, I just think that's how the story is told, you know? Um, so 
when, when, when you're here, you know, I, when I was there, I talked about the, the guys in front of me. I didn't look at it in a negative light because one, I was told from an early stage of my time at FEV that that was a good thing. And I understood why it was a good thing right away as well. And those same kids that, you know, I was competing with, so to speak, they're my you know, lifelong friends. And because I was working with them while I was there, I don't think too many college programs, you, know, you, you work with people, but ultimately, you know, you know, you have to, you know, you have to look out for yourself, so to speak. I think at FUV might be a little different. Obviously I'm speaking without having been in another program, but just from hearing other people's college stories, I think the, the tight knit nature of WFUV is really what makes it stand out. That's Justin Shackle. We appreciate you coming on, sharing all that insight and we hope everything continues to stay well and healthy with you. And we appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. I hope everyone's safe and uh, everyone's family is safe as well. Great to catch up with Justin this week. And Jimmy, one of the major takeaways from that discussion is the camaraderie between himself and everyone at the station. And that time, this is no overstatement. It was a star-studded class. You had a lot of people that went on to have big careers, but you can sense why they had big careers. And it was that tight-knit group at FUV. They all pushed each other to achieve their best and ultimately play dividends down the road. Yeah, it's so interesting to get to talk to Justin, talking about the people who he was kind of stuck behind the first couple of years he was at FUV, whether it was Ryan Rucco, Dan Duva, Dan Flanagan, who was a really good announcer. Um, and it's really interesting to hear him talk about, and this might have been the favorite thing that he said in this podcast, the amount of time he spent at FUV. Yeah, he was stuck behind some of these guys, and he could have easily felt sorry for himself and just said, Matt, this isn't for me. But he spent a ton of time at FUV. He became ingratiated with the culture at FUV so that even if he wasn't necessarily on the air or one of the lead guys, everybody saw him there. Everybody gained respect for him when they saw him there. And it was impossible not to because he's got a great work ethic. He constantly strives to be better. And you can see that as to how well it's turned out for him in the few years since he's graduated. And I think that's something we talked before about reflecting in the, in the current staff. And I think that's something that never changes about FUV. If you put the time in, you show yourself, you will be noticed and you eventually will get those chances. And while it may not be easy to get those chances right off the bat, it could benefit you very greatly down the road in your career. And I'm sure a lot of people can share that sentiment in the shows moving ahead. Absolutely. And we saw it with Dan Duva. We've seen it here with Justin Shackle. If you want to be successful in this industry, or even just at FUV, you have to put the time in. And if you put the time in, chances are you're going to be successful. So we saw it with our first two guests. I think we'll see it as a common thread in the weeks and months ahead of this podcast, where the people we have on were really successful because they put the time in. They wanted to get better. They listened back to their stuff. They wanted to improve. That's the case with Justin. It's the case with Dan. And it'll be the case with anybody else we have on this show. So fun chatting with Justin Shackle, our second guest on the Off The Air podcast. If you want to stay in line with the podcast, you can get it on any platform you wish. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We also post all our shows on Libsyn. The link's available on WFUVSports.org, your online home 
for WFUV Sports. So, for Jimmy Sullivan, Emmanuel Barbari, we'll see you next week on the Off the Air Podcast.